So I found it really funny this week that when we were looking, discussing one of the movies that we were talking about, the fixation became, where do I stream it? You know, and, and, and <laughs> it was like, oh shit, it's not on this platform. Oh, it's not on this platform. And I was like, I, I have a hard copy. <laughs> like we didn't, e- didn't even think of that option. That happens to me once in a while. I'll be, I'll search Amazon and I'll search Netflix and I'll, I'll search uh, uh, Google Play and all these places and then go, oh, that's right. It's sitting on my shelf right yeah. here. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's more convenient. It's, it's the assumption that people don't yeah. have the movies they talk about. But even it, it's always that last option of, well, maybe I can find a copy. <laughs> right, right. We, Find a copy. We, like, hop on eBay. Yeah, we have we have gone into a very funny place, I believe. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 183 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast and my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. I do apologize for the slight husk in my voice it's a morning show and on those episodes i'm not quite as awake as i usually seem um but um it was uh i I wanted to get a few shows into august because didn't get as many shows in july and uh there's a lot out right now that i want to talk about and uh more importantly there are people that i need and want to get back on the show like today's guest today's guest um uh, is somebody who for as long as i've been doing my site and as long certainly as long as i've been doing my podcast has had his fingerprints all over it in the very very best ways um keeps me thinking about what I want to do, keeps me hungry for what I want to do next, and is always a fun person to have on the show and talk about anything, be it, you know, good movies, bad movies, and we have covered both. Um, <laughs> today, I'm not quite sure which kind we're covering, but we'll find that out. We're across a wire to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Does anybody call it the Sot? No, I've never heard that. <laughs> I the just, Sot? the soat no. my brother was there last month and i was like see if anybody calls it the soat um but live from the soat it's andrew james of the row three santa cast how are you man good dude how are you i am all right it's uh it's busy times up here this is i i think i've been busier this summer at age 39 than like the summer i was age 19 on episode 183 we will be discussing lucky logan we'll be flipping the record over and doing a complete other side for the first time in a few episodes um, but before we get any further, uh, one quick little note. We're recording this episode on Sunday, um, August 20th, 2017, and it's kind of a big date for me because today marks 10 years that I've been writing about film on the Dark of the Matinee and, of course, the matinee.ca since then. Um, it's not something I don't think I ever fully anticipated doing when I first started writing uh, back in 2007 and posting short, tiny little reviews about movies like Once and Superbad and The Bourne Supremacy, or The Bourne Ultimatum, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But it has been a lot of fun. It has obviously introduced me to some people like Andrew, who have just been deeply influential and very, very, very good friends. Um, so I just kind of wanted to say um, thanks for anybody who's tuned into the show, or certainly who stopped by the site. Um, I... 10 years in the internet kind of makes me a senior citizen um and i'll i'll take it so thank you everybody for um for sticking around uh, do you ever find that it's it's wild like how much time flies 
that we've yeah. been doing these kinds of things. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say congratulations. That is a feat. Ten years, especially with one site, mm. that's pretty rare, mm. I think, these days. So congratulations. That's awesome. Not to mention, for the vast, vast majority of that ten years, you posted every single day. Yeah, there was, there was like a good like five-year stretch where it was a daily ritual. Yeah, which is insane. So kudos to you, sir. Um, as far as time flight, yeah. I can't believe... I mean, Row 3 is coming up on 10 years in November, I think. Yeah. Um, and I was writing before that, too. And I just... Yeah, I can't believe it. It's, like, I think about writing reviews for King Kong. Yeah. And that was, a, that was in 2005, right? I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. just... Wow, time flies. Yeah. And it's... You know, as, as I said, it's, it's been great. It's it's given me uh, a way to, to reach new people and meet new people. And, and even if it's not just about film even if it's just people who happen to become friends of you know who who you can talk about things other than movies it's been really rewarding so i'm i'm really thankful i did it but on with the show this is andrew james on know your enemy Andrew is a five-timer. I really do got to make up, like, buttons or jackets or something because I'm getting a lot more five-timers as time goes on. We first met him on episode 27 where we talked about The Fighter. We learned the first film he ever saw in a theater was Star Wars A New Hope. The last film he'd seen at the time was The Social Network. The worst film he's ever seen, possibly still, is Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. He's not. (laughs) Yeah. The unseen classic or essential, which he has since seen, was Singing in the Rain. And the film he'd wish he'd made was Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. Next, on episode 73, we discuss Killing Them Softly. We learn the film he digs that nobody else does is The Core. The film everybody else likes that he does not is Bridesmaids. The last film to make him cry was (laughs) 50-50. In the movie of his life, he is played by Kate Winslet. And the film he was watching next is Something Wild. Then, on episode 117, we talked about Boyhood, and we learned the film that made his love of film turn a corner was Clockwork Orange. His first date movie was Chances Are with Robert Downey Jr. His sick day movie is Jumper, for reasons I still don't understand. Uh, the film to leave him speechless was Captain Phillips, and his epitaph was Be Excellent to Each Other and Party On, Dudes. Finally. Nice. On episode 149, where we discussed The Force Awakens and set a new record for the longest single guest episode of this show, we learned the film that he really digs but never wants to see again is Elephant. The film that genuinely freaked him out was Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The film that always makes him laugh is The Birdcage. Here, here. His favorite movie soundtrack is Pulp Fiction. And the film he loves that nobody has heard of, and I think this is still true, is Shinobi Heart Under Blade. So it's time for round five. Mr. James, when you go to a theater, where do you like to sit? Duh. Row three. three. Right. (laughs) Now, I say that kind of jokingly, but it's actually true. Over the last maybe like three years, I've gotten a lot closer to the screen. Have you thought about getting your eyes checked? I just no. It's not that okay. First of all, when I say row three, it's not that row th- that true row three right. to the screen where you're looking up. It's not that row yeah. three. It's the one after the, the after aisle the that kind of, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I li- I've decided that I kind of like. I want the screen to fill up as much of my vision as possible. 
Okay. Not 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 all well, not as much as possible, but I like it a big immersive experience. So I want to see I want to have to turn my head just a little bit to see both sides of the screen. Right. Um, the bigness of it. Do you wear like t- totally tangential just cuz I don't know this. Do you wear glasses? No, I do not. Okay, it's I, just because I'm I'm always you know that like going to the movies is one of those things where if you wear them, you, I know that there's there's factors to take into place. Like sometimes sure. if I'm sitting too close and it's a movie with subtitles, Lindsay will want to move back because she's like, my I'm gonna have trouble with this with with you know like reading the text and looking at the movie. Um, yeah. You know what I've noticed actually? So I over time have actually started sitting closer and closer and closer and it has nothing to do with my actual vision. One of the things I've realized is one of the benefits now of sitting closer is if anybody is messing around on their phone, you don't see it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Total unintended benefit. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't like like Matt Gamble, our co host, he he loves to sit in the very, very back row. And I'm like I might as well watch it at home if I'm going to be this far back. Hmm. I don't. I don't like that. Why does he like sit that far back? I don't know. I should just get him on the show and ask him. I should just get him on the show. Full stop. Um, But um, okay, that's uh, yeah. It's we got to have him on five times though before you can get him to this question though. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll rearrange some questions. (laughs) I'll I'll leave the one that's that far back. Uh, If you could go on a date with any movie character, who are you taking out? Um, I was considering being a smartass and saying like R two D two or Sully from <laughs> Monsters Inc or something. Right. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, this is a weird question. It was a hard question. Um, I ultimately went with uh, okay. So I have criteria. Okay. It's the date. There are no expectations after, but I want the right. date to be super fun, and with somebody who uh, will just have a good conversation. And and just have a good time. Pretty much is all that I was looking for. So I chose Scott Donlin from Best in Show, who's played by John Michael Higgins. He's Scott McKeon's boyfriend in that movie. He's the super flamboyant <laughs> guy with the fla- flaming leather pants. Like, how much fun would a date with him be? I mean, like for starters, you're both dog people, so there you go. You know, yeah. like already, right? I, I see, I see. A, you know what? Now that I think about it, I see that as being a really lovely date. You know, you yeah. guys can take the dogs out. You can get some coffee. You know, yep. it's, it's, it's summertime in Minnesota is a really nice time to like walk around the lake. And I'm sure he's. And for the by the way, I'm straight. If yeah, anyone, yeah, well, I was gonna say, but can't tell the jokes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just think, and then the nightlife part of the the date will be a hell of a lot of fun. So I think it'll be good. <laughs> Runner up would have been Poppy from Happy Go Lucky. By the way. Oh shoot! Yeah, okay. yeah, I don't think I could keep up with her. She's got like enthusiasm that is just off the chain. I I think that she would wear me out. Maybe. Well, so does he, I guess. That's true, I, too. I didn't, think, I didn't think of that. Well, see, that I'm not in the driver's seat here. I'll just sit back and let them okay. drive the date. Yep. <laughs> That's a great answer. Those, those, both what? of those are great answers, by the way. I have had some very interesting answers to this question. What is the dirtiest film you've ever seen? 52 Pickup by John Frankenheimer. Uh, I mean, not including porn, obviously. No. Uh, yeah. And also... That might not even be the hundred percent the correct answer, but when I read that question, that's the first thing that popped into my mind, and I kind of did a little bit of looking around, and I just stuck with it. Fifty Two Pickup is um, a movie, like I said, directed by John Frankenheimer. It was it's based off of a novel by Elmore Leonard, and it stars Roy Scheider and Anne Margaret, and I think Vanity is in it. Um, 
and it's just this super greasy slums of New York or not New York. I think it's in California. Um, it's about a guy just being blackmailed by a bunch of um, just low life, um, low budget porn directors and drug drug runners. Um, and it's just super icky and greasy. And even there's some there's a lot of nudity in it and a lot of like um, there's a couple of death scenes that are just very disturbing and it's got this cinema verite in moments Um, it's just very gross and I love it I love the movie but but it's just the villain in it freaks me out all of them it's it's weird. I think it's one of those ones like I've I've never seen it and now I I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see it now. Uh, but um the thing about like all of that 70s uh film uh oeuvre is how the the filmmaking at the time had this kind of grime to it like all of them even even like some of the most iconic movies, like Taxi Driver and um, and e- and even even a little bit of Jaws, have this kind of film over like film like like veneer of this like kind of like you saying this greasiness to it, and then yeah. you take any subject matter that's any way disturbing or any way unpleasant. I actually think it's kind of what makes a lot of those seventies horrors work so well, and it real and it just dials it up that much more because of what you're seeing it's like the opposite of 4k it's not even it's not even like it's blurry or anything like that but it just looks cheap and on the fly like it was made right. with whatever they could find which it probably was and this movie a lot of it takes place like with a guy editing porno films and it's so it's got that sort of cheapness to it now i'm glad you said 70s movies because this is like 1986 oh, really? but oh but it totally feels like they in 1986, I'm sure there were critics that said, wow, I haven't seen a movie like this since the 70s. Because yeah. that's exactly oh, what it feels okay. like. I, it's, it's weird because, as I said, like, I, this is not why I asked this question, but now I'm curious to see it. Um, so, 52 Pickup. Okay. I'll give that a check. What is your favorite black and white film? Uh, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, uh, nice. Kubrick's my favorite director. Um, and Dr. Strangelove is in the top three for me of his films and um it's really really funny every time i watch it it's so funny we're gonna be talking about a kubrick film later so maybe this will come up but do you do you wish he had gone a little bit further with black and white like killer's kiss i love that that's that's a movie where i really wish he had kept working in black and white um i want to say it's called like wages of fear but i know that's wrong Oh, uh, to the internet. Hold on. Fear and Desire. Thank you, Fear and Desire. As much as I do adore what he did in color, there's sometimes where I wish he had made a, a little bit more in black and white just because I think as a photographer, his eye was trained so damn well for 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 that kind of aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Paths of Glory is really nice looking too. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I mean, I guess... I read the question as just what's your favorite movie that happens to be black and white. And for Dr. Strangelove, I don't, I never really thought too much about the cinematography in that oh, movie. Well, re-watch, um, like, oh, the, the War Room. Yeah, is awesome. no, but even yeah. just um, when the when the Colonel is talking and basically outlining his plan to one of the Peter Sellers, and that camera is really really low, and it's kind of looking mm. up on him, and he's, he, like the cigar is pointing like into the corner of the shot. It's yeah. really it's gorgeous shot. It it looks even more imposing and and surreal because it's in black and white. 
I yeah, and I I sometimes wonder. One of my favorite bits from Star Wars is the in the Death Star, the guys around the table talking about what they're going to do about the rebellion, and yeah. I feel like that's t- that's lifted somewhat because it's very black and white. Even though that movie's in color, yeah, that scene is almost black and white. And yeah. I wonder if it was lifted partly from Doctor Strangelove. Probably. Um, um, last yeah. but not least, uh, and, and this this might be hard. What is a film you dig that nobody would expect you to like? It is hard because. I don't know. I just kind of like all movies, so people just expect me to like everything. However, I actually like some Michael Bay stuff, and okay. Transformers Three what? is one of those. Yeah, oh, no. I like Transformers Three. Why? I mean, I don't love it. No, but you it's like not it. like I'm going to go to defend it. But something about, and it's weird too because I remember really liking the action sequence at the end where they they're flying around and the city is being destroyed. And now, how many times has that been done? Hmm. And it's just kind of meh. But for some reason, Transformers 3, now, to be honest, to be fair, I've only seen it twice. I saw it once in the theater and then once when it first came out on uh, home video. But, yeah, I just, it's very enjoyable. I couldn't think of anything else that, like, somebody wouldn't expect me to like. I feel like you name a movie and unless it's, like some straight to de- like some weird really bad, bad piece of shit that I like um, I, I don't know I couldn't think of anything else Other- Michael Bay seems to be one that people go Andrew really like you just did yeah <laughs> well I mean it, it's I, th- I think it's primarily because Bayhem has become shorthand for like bad action right and and he's he's got his place but I, I think it, it's it's really strange because he's been so locked with the Transformers series for like 10 years now, really. He's he's only done two or three other movies that are not Transformers in that time. Um, yeah. He's just become... Um, he's just become synonymous with this really bombastic action uh, that's that's mostly about these, you know, these robots kicking the crap out of each other, and I don't know why I want to harp on robots as a fan of superhero movies um you know it's it's weird because i like like um pain and gain like that was that was that was a good movie that he did um Mm -hmm. that that i kind of wish i I, maybe that's the thing maybe once he's done with the transformers i'll be able to go back to michael bay movies but um i I agree i mean in general i don't like the transformers movies two is almost unwatchable and that last one i i didn't even see the last one i don't think (laughs) But, I mean, you go back, and The Rock is good, and Bad Boys 2 is oh, yeah, good. The, oh, yeah, the old Michael Bay movies I love. Armageddon? You know, yeah. That's because I was of an age, I think. Okay. Transformers. But I agree. He got, he's got he gotten bogged down in this franchise. He should have just done one or maybe finished his trilogy and then called it a day yeah. and gone on to other yeah, things. He's still there right. now. Okay. <clears throat> maybe I'll give Transformers 3 a watch, but... Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's... All right. All you right. need to rush it. But go check out 52 Pickup. That I will do. All right, that's more about Andrew James. Uh, Next time I will uh, have to get to that round six of questions, which I still don't know what they are because I've never had a six-time guest yet. Um, So we'll see what happens then. But for now, we're going to move on to the new slang. The new slang for episode 183 is Lucky Logan.
The new slang for episode 183 is Logan Lucky, not Lucky Logan, as I may have referred to it a few times in this episode already, because that makes far more sense, as Andrew said off-air. It is directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Rebecca Blunt. Both Mr. James and I are devoted followers of the Church of Soderbergh, so it was sad to see him announce his retirement in 2013. But lo, four years later, he did rise again, and the faithful rejoiced. But perhaps some rust collected on our savior while he was away. So, pop quiz hotshot, was this the Soderbergh return you were hoping for? No. No. I mean, I sort of feel like I expect more from him. Um, But that said, it is kind of the lark that he's been doing lately. Um, Like with Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL. I love those movies. But they're just a big lark. And I feel like maybe he's been at TV for so long, um, you know, with the Nick and the girlfriend experience and doing that stuff. Um, this is just a way to get his feet wet was to just remake Ocean's Eleven in the South. <laughs> uh, so I didn't I didn't love it. Um and uh, I guess I would normally expect more, but I did have a smile on my face through the whole thing. Yeah. So there is that he did that for me i'm with you like well actually where i'm at is when he announced his retirement from film um he was talking about how the films that usually interest him are not the kind of films that make money and it wasn't he wasn't retiring because he was bored with it or upset with it or he thought he'd done everything he needed to do he was just saying Mm -hmm. it's becoming a harder and harder sell like his movies his kind of movies uh, used to be able to make a certain amount of money and it was enough to, to cover the costs but now in an age where people aren't going out to the theater as often unless it's to see something like Spider-Man I should say um, his movies aren't making nearly as much so those grown up movies that they used to make 20 and 30 years ago they don't make nearly as much as they used to um, there was a you know there was a joke the other day that in 10 days of release there was a, a there was a cartoon that came out um, two weeks ago and I can't remember which cartoon it was but it was a really bad one um, but anyway this this animated movie that was really terrible in 10 days made more than Moonlight made over its entire run was it the emoji movie that was it also, yeah, that's, yeah the, the oh emoji God. movie made more money than Moonlight did in total mm-hmm. um, which is not a knock on Moonlight it's just to say that this is what people pay to go see in a theater so I right. guess for to answer my own question when I was hoping for a return I was just kind of hoping he'd do more TV um, it, it really suits his storytelling the Nick is an incredible show and uh, I think if I was hoping for a return it was you know hey buddy give me another show sure yeah yeah or even behind the candelabra was a tv wasn't that hbo yeah. or showtime movie yeah, i mean it's a movie stuff. but it's tv so yeah maybe that's what he should stick with also it used to be back in the day like you said his movies would make some money he was one of these directors that did one for you and one for me so he'd yeah. make oceans 11 make a boatload of money and then make gray's anatomy and then he'd make out of sight with george clooney make a boatload of money and then make like full frontal or eros or bubble so he'd have these big blockbuster movies and i feel like i'm sure he had fun with them and i'm sure he liked doing them but they were only there to serve as a paycheck so that he could make this little indie thing 
in black and white that he really wanted to make. Yeah. So you were like you were just kind of somewhere in the middle with this movie. It sort of worked for you, and it sort of didn't work for you. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. It's funny. There's not. A, I don't think there's much of a conversation to be had about this movie, unfortunately. But I wouldn't say there wasn't anything in it that didn't work. It's just not that it was firing on all cylinders. Like I, I enjoyed. I think the. I think the cast. Um, and the performances are better than the movie itself, mm-hmm. pretty much. That's what keeps it keeps it rolling. But I was all, like I said, I was always smiling. I was always happy with what was going on screen. It never slowed down for me. It never got boring. Um, I think it was just kind of this this flat line that was way above the average and just went like this. And I was just happy the whole yeah. time. The pacing was great. Um, I, there was just nothing in it that made me really get excited about it or really find something funny or re- anything really highly quotable or anything particularly memorable even. Yeah. I feel like uh, I've already started to forget a lot of this movie. It's, see, that's funny because there's a lot, like moment to moment, there is a lot that is going to stick with me. I've already been quoting Joe Bang. Like for two days straight, basically. <laughs> anytime, anytime I gotta like change to go out or something, I'm like, I'm gonna get naked, you know, like that kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No peeking, <laughs> no peeking. Um, and um, that that whole that whole end of it, like the moment to moment part of it, is actually what I thought was was really well done. Um, what was weird for me, and this is usually where Soderbergh excels, is that it felt. It felt a little flat from from moment to moment. Like the the, the pace of this movie is a little off. It's not a, like a, it's not a mess or anything like that. I just expect his movies to be a little bit snappier. Um, mm-hmm. If you like, if you watch, you know, the Ocean series is basically a clinic in in pace across the board. Every time they're having a conversation or they're pulling off part of the job, it's just crackling right along, and that is kind of where I felt the rust. This movie feels a little teeny bit sluggish from moment to moment, just kind of getting in and getting out. Um, yeah. And there, I mean, it's, there's sometimes where I'm, I'm, I was sitting there watching something. I'm like, okay, I'm watching like Chan, Channing Tatum walk through the underbelly of the Charlotte Speedway. And it feels like there should be music here, but there's not. And he's just walking along in silence and it's not, I'm like, I'm, I'm restless all of a sudden, which is weird yeah. for me. Cause I'm usually very, very patient when it comes to movies. I think that was that was the weirdest thing for me was this movie the actual execution of it felt like it needed one more pass. Yeah, that I think that's I'll buy that. I mean, it it takes it takes its time to sometimes uh like it'll just stop for a second and explain things to you in kind of a funny way. Like I'm just we're just going to stop and we're going to draw chemistry on the wall for a second. And that was funny. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there was a there was a couple other things too where they where they would just stop and talk about something kind of inconsequential and it was really funny but it still sort of broke up the flow of what was going on in the in the movie and I, it's so weird how similar I mean this is just obvious how similar this is to Ocean's Eleven like it's almost the same movie and the more I think about it it totally is like there's that domestic side with. Where in Ocean's Eleven, it was uh, George Clooney trying to get Julia Roberts back. In this, it's um, uh, 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 Channing Tatum trying to like be a good father to his mm-hmm. daughter. Yeah. In Ocean's Eleven, the Julia Roberts thing is sort of 
inter spoiler it's sort of intertwined with the heist yeah in a way in this it's just sort of an it's sort of a side thing that he's got to constantly get back to um she isn't involved in any way he's it's not part of the plan at all no um, it's, it's a very big b plot yeah and it's not a bad plot or a no. boring thing it just it's not it doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie like that julia roberts thing does in right. oceans 11 and it, so you just feel like you're being you're constantly being taken away from the movie to go visit this house and go out for ice cream and be with the little girl um which was kind of strange yeah i mean like it's it it one scene that is really, really sweet and actually really nicely shot. There is a shot in there that very well make may make my Hey Man Nice Shot uh, post at the end of the year is the scene where he gets back to the little beauty pageant and he watches his daughter singing Country Road, which first of all, between this movie and Alien Resurrection, we need to mothball Country Road for a little while. There were four John Denver like movies this year. Oakja really? had it. Okja had a whole big yeah, moment right, with the yep, and also uh, Free Fire. Oh man, had yeah, a big no, John Denver well, moment. Not not that song. I got nothing but against John Den- the Denver, but like guys, get together and like can you know talk about this stuff. That scene, as lovely as it is, it feels like it kind of stops everything in its tracks. It actually feels like it's supposed to be the end of the movie. To be entirely yes. honest, that, that's the weird thing. That feels like it should be the end that he got away with the money and you know he got to see his daughter sing and ta-da. And everything that comes after that, at first, feels really, really tacked on. Like things were just kind of even though I was talking about the pace, they're humming along, and then he sees his daughter sing, and I'm like, oh, we're still here for another twenty minutes. What's yeah. that? That all seems really strange for a Soderbergh movie. And that's where Hilary Swank comes in. Yeah, and I went. Oh, that's right! Hilary Swank is in this. They they pretty prominently put her in the marketing stuff, and that was one of the things that got me excited because I I'm a big Hilary Swank fan, and she's just not in anything good anymore, and so I was super excited to have Soderbergh used her, and for the moments that she's in there, she's pretty great. Yeah. But wow, it would have been so good to have her in the whole thing. Um, I'm trying that, to think if she's doing an accent or if she's just speaking in her like home accent. I think that's just how she kind of she just kind of <laughs> has that weird. But she does. She is speaking with a really robotic, cold uh, sort of yeah. breathy voice like this. I, I loved it. I loved it when she showed up. Um, but um, yeah, you know, yeah, all that whole back end. I was like, oh wow, we got a long, a lot of movie left here. Yeah, which is it's it's really and really, it wasn't even that interesting. No, because I mean, you know, like I I don't really want to give away what happens. Well, I, I, we can give away part of it. It's basically, you know, they, they, it's a heist movie, so obviously they're going to take the money. Is that for a long time, it seems like the money has been given back. Like they, they, so, so they make off with the loot, and he loads it into the back of his pickup truck, and then he just walks away from the truck and leaves it at a gas station. And it seems like it's just everybody harping on him about the fallout. And, invest, mm-hmm. and you know, the FBI investigating why all this money got taken just to be abandoned and it all like even even when it is finally explained it all seems like a really long time to wail on nobody liking <laughs> yeah. Channing Tatum because he walked away right yeah i mean it's all it's all it's kind of a frustrating maybe for the audience yeah heist movies tend to do that be but frustrating i think especially but. because it becomes so interesting to see how they get 
uh, Joe Bang and uh, and his brother back into the prison. You know, yeah. like like that whole end of it. Like it's they pull off the heist, they get them back in, and it seems like that's the. And he watches his daughter, and it seems like that's the end. But then it's like, no, we kind of got to hang with this for a while. That's just, that's so strange to me. Would you? What if that was the end, though? Would you feel any more satisfied? Because I don't feel I would I so. actually. I well, you know, I, yeah. I'd still have my moments of why were why were we kind of lingering in these little moments? But I, I'd still be okay with it. Um, his two his two hillbilly friends kind of kept me kept me amused. You know, I know all the twitters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. when they're when they're mixing up the explosives it's like pour two into three and three into four now run wait what now you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're they're like a low rent version of Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn a very 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 yeah, low rent exactly version. what they were yep. um yeah no I, I'd be okay if it was like short that last 20 minutes or just skip straight to the payoff right so um, I, I guess I'm saying I don't need the swank okay fair enough yeah. well on that note, I mean, other people like Catherine Waterston. Like, why? Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Why? What? 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 Soderbergh whole... does that though, right? Like, why is Matt Damon in Che? Is he? He's, yeah, he's I the FBI hope. guy at the very or the CIA guy at the very very end of four hours and twenty minutes of Che. Um, well, okay. Let's say it wasn't Matt Damon though. Is that? Is that CIA agent or whatever necessary or needed for the story? Oh, well, why is the character? Well, you're saying like the Catherine well, Waterston character. Both. No, the character like, serves no weird... purpose at all, and Catherine Waterston brings nothing to it. Yeah, it's such a weird. Inclusion. Like, why is this in here? Yeah, I guess to give him a girlfriend at the end. I don't know. It's, it's it yeah. didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, uh. it's, and it's weird too because if you if you were to take that time away and spend it with some of these other characters, like. You know, take that time away from Catherine Waterston and spend it more with Riley Keough, who in this movie is just off the hook as Melly. Um, yeah. Or spend spend more time with Joe. I think a lot of this movie is spent with Joe Bang, so I don't think we really need more Daniel Craig. But I kind of want Joe Bang to have his own movie. I want to find out how Joe Bang got in prison. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you want a prequel? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, no. I, I want an an, an uh, unlucky Logan. Um, yeah. Yeah, Daniel Craig in this movie, I think we've gotten so used to him as Bond um, and how badass and tough, and even like movies like Layer Cake and that kind of movie, um, how badass and tough he could be. So to see him as a hillbilly was really, really... And he just, he embraces it, I think, more than anybody in this movie. It seems to be... I mean, he's definitely much more of a, like a caricature yeah. than than the other characters um even though they're missing arms and wearing cut off shirts and stuff but yeah he he looks badass but then his voice kicks in and that blonde that super bleached blonde hair and he's just goofy as hell it's really fun but I, like I, you know I, even even just every time he's he's usually the smartest guy in the room strangely enough but he just mm-hmm. kind of has this really way about it. It's like, oh, I see what I did. I twisted the bag three times. G- give me a second. We'll do this. You know, th- that kind of thing. And I'm really sorry to anybody who I'm offending with my really bad accent. But um, stuff like that, he he seems to get it the most, which is strange because I don't think of Daniel Craig and think of a character acting goofball. No, generally, ge- definitely not. He He's yeah. always suave and tough. Yeah. And one step ahead of everybody, and here he's maybe like half a step behind uh, everybody. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, he was good. I mean, I don't know. Adam Driver, another movie this reminded me of. If So if this is like 90% Ocean's Eleven, it's like 10% Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Because, um, yeah, Adam Driver's character reminded me of, oh, what's the... John, John Turturro or Tim Blake Nelson? Nope. The other one, Tim Blake Nelson, Delmar O'Donnell from, from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Just that okay boys i'm with you whatever you want kind of yeah, like did you say very cauliflower slow. you know did you just yeah. say cauliflower to me that's yeah <laughs> and he, he's so it's just no matter what's going on he's walks slowly he's calm he's looking around he talks very slowly no matter what he never gets excited about anything even during the bar brawl he just walks outside hey you got a light and yeah. it's like it's i i liked him as a character. I like Adam Driver more and more every time he shows up in anything. Um, I really do a like lot. him. Like I, you know, I wouldn't have looked at Adam from Girls and thought, yeah, you'd play a convincing one-armed hillbilly. Yeah. Or Patterson, or Kylo Ren, or the Ben Stiller movie, the adult, whatever oh, that's called. while we're young. While we're young. Yeah. He's so good in that. And they're such vastly different characters. He can be super hip and good-looking, or he can play this. Yeah. Kind of a dumb hillbilly. You can play an everyman, um, or you can play an action hero. It's really great. So, are we saying this is like mid-level Soderbergh? Is this bad Soderbergh? Where are we, like in in the in the canon here? Okay, so I just added it to my Soderbergh list on Letterboxd. Okay, and out of the twenty-four Soderbergh movies that I've seen, it's at number twenty-one. Oh, McCall, really? No, like- now. That's not. It sounds horrible. What's but below that's not it? Re- Contagion, Kafka, and Ocean's Twelve. I do not like Ocean's Twelve at all. So wrong. But but you look at the movies that are above it, and you go, okay, these are really good movies. So I mean, it's not it's not a slight to put it there. Mm-hmm. I like Logan Lucky. Um, we'll get to the star rating at the end. I just <laughs> I just don't love it. Like I am I gonna rewatch it? Probably. Maybe if I'm flipping through channels, which I don't do anymore, because I'm gonna have get channels. your hands on some sort of a copy of this, be it hard copy or e copy, and you know it. Maybe, but I can just watch. I don't know. I, I can watch Ocean's Eleven, which is my favorite. So. <laughs> and you can you can watch Ocean's Eight when it comes out next year. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like. I don't know. This for me, it's it's somewhere in the middle. Like it's it's certainly not as great as a lot of his really really best stuff, just because it's that stuff is so great. But I mean, when he goes really cold or really cerebral, those movies for me have a tendency to really not work. Like I really see myself watching this again sooner than I watch something like Full Frontal. Okay. If this was any other director, I'd actually be a lot easier on this movie. I actually kind of think that my respect for Soderbergh is part, part of what's dragging this down, is I expect more from him. But yeah. if this was somebody trying to do a heist movie, um, and this is what they came back with, I'd probably be a lot easier on it. I'd probably be more like, oh, this yeah, is it's, it's, it's like a high, a high three, maybe a low three and a half kind of movie. But it's because this director has done better heist movies than this yeah. and I'm like no it's it's more somewhere in the middle but yet it's not as bad as some of his really really heady stuff like the underneath or or bubble or the good German mm-hmm. which those which are all have their own awesome are... stuff going for them but I don't yeah. you know I don't enjoy them to that extent 
I am, yeah, I hear you. There's a difference between a a like what's a good movie and what's just an enjoyable movie. They're interesting and they're technically they're interesting. good, but they're not the kind of thing that you know that that leaves you with a lot. Right. For me, they do. For 95% of people, they probably don't. I love Schizopolis. I love The Girlfriend Experience. Oh, this, yeah. Um, We've talked about that movie. That's that's one. Part of me wants to revisit it, but at the same time, I'm like, no, I remember how much I hated that movie. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. It's handsome. I remember it being handsome as hell, but I I remember really wanting to leave. Um, You know, it's. What's interesting, at at the end, this is not a spoiler. Yeah. At the end of Logan Lucky, there's, um, there's a line of dialogue, something along the lines of, are we just destined to repeat ourselves or something like that he says and and the the girl says no we're always looking forward and i think there might be two statements in one there in that he's admitting yep i'm totally just doing what i've done in the past but it's a it's a stepping stone to more things to come that's i, I guess hope that's, that's kind of yeah. what it is yeah i guess that's the hope like if if this is just getting his feet wet so that he can make another Che or another uh, Solaris or something like that, then yeah, or, or even another Bubble. As much as I was just ragging on Bubble, um, you know, I, I was certainly deeply, deeply interested when I watched it that one time I watched it. Um, yeah, I just it, it's, it's funny because for somebody who could make the Oceans movies and not waste a single cameo I'm watching Logan Lucky and wondering what Seth MacFarlane and Sebastian Stan are even doing in this movie. As as yeah. amusing as Sebastian Stan's whole bullshit about his OS and his software and what he puts in his body was somewhat, I, I, I'm like, you know, I, I, I kind of think I know about a whole subplot you could have just completely excised from this movie. Yeah, um, yeah this movie should be like 70 minutes, yeah. really. Well, or... Yeah. or let me spend more time in the jail with the the inmates hmm. who are pissed off about not getting their Game of Thrones. Totally, that was a good that was a good side plot. That's, that you know, yeah. th- that's a scene that has nothing to do with nothing, and yet listening to the warden and the inmates go back and forth about what they do and don't know about Game of Thrones. Yeah. Is, that's why I go to movies. That is awesome. Yeah. Dwight Dwight Yoakam should have mentioned yeah. him. That's a oh, good. Dwight that Yoakam. was. I, whenever he shows up, I love that guy. I kept thinking, for some reason, I kept thinking it was Ted Levine. I'm like, why do I know you again? Yeah, Dwight Yoakam. Like, yeah, every <laughs> Hillbilly movie needs Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> right. He's got that name, too. Yeah, so, um, All right. Well, it's, it's, it's weird because we're, we're both obviously positive on this movie and negative on this movie and for all kinds of reasons. I, you know, I think we both of us probably could have done way worse for a Friday night. But what we're saying is if you've got 10 bucks right now and you're looking to go to the movies, this might not be the one that we say start here. Right. Yeah. Well, I went to a matinee actually. Oh, so and the first thing I leaned over to my wife and said, I said, well, that was worth six bucks. Yeah. We end our reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible that you would take away and keep from this movie. If you could, Andrew James, what is your souvenir from Logan Lucky? I forgot you were going to ask me this question. I can start uh, if you want. You go first. Let okay. me think about it. Uh, well, my souvenir is I want to take a drive with Melly Logan uh, because there's, you know, she, she's she's kind of the brains behind the brains. Like, 
Chris Lucky is really the one who's pulling off the whole plan, but Melly is the one who actually seems to know what she's doing. Basically, Melly Logan and Joe Bang are running this whole thing while the Logan brothers put on a good front. And Melly is especially deft behind the wheel. Um, she has kind of a, a back and forth with, uh, with a car dealer who's you know, trying to talk her into a new car, some of the like new model off the line. And she's like, oh, well, I see that you only ever drive the automatics. Is that because you can't drive a stick? And yeah. sure enough, he shows up the next time with a with a uh, standard transmission. And she's like, yep, I'll take that. And she she kind of seems like she'd be fun to drive with, is all I'm saying. Does uh, does the warden ever say that he does get them the, the books that they're looking for? No. Or he he, he says it's just not going to happen. You want, you want the right. books? Is that what you're saying? I was going to say I want books six and seven. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. That would be my... But if those aren't available, I'll take the uh, the bionic arm at the end. That is a cool arm, isn't it? Is that a real yeah. thing? It could be. I'm it seemed to actually like move and stuff. Yeah, like it's like almost Luke Skywalker style. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was. Yeah, like I don't. I. I we we got to be getting there, but I didn't. I didn't know if we were like quite there with like R and D just yet. But yeah, that that would be cool. I think um, we're there. If, yeah. So if I can't get book six and seven, I'll, I'll take my arm. arm. Uh, we rate here on the Matt Nacast on a scale of one to four stars. Andrew James, what do you give Logan Lucky? I'll give it a three. So you know it's funny because I'm talking up this movie and I'm actually coming in lower than you. I think it's 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 a two and a half. Any other director, it's probably a three, but okay. I'm I'm gonna be hard on him. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. It's just to say that I had that many little little things that added up to a big thing. It's it's I'm I'm really enthused about it and I think it's fun. And yeah, by the time it comes to to like you know like you said like channel surfing or video on demand, I'll probably think of it better. But as a theatrical movie, it's somewhere in the middle for me. Hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you think that this is the best movie ever. Maybe you think it is a complete waste of time. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca or Twitter where I'm matinee underscore ca. What do you think of Logan Lucky? We are gonna do the complete other side after this. We've got two movies to talk about at length. So come on back. We're gonna flip the record over and play the other side right after this. We're back. He's Andrew James. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's episode 183 of the Matinee Cast. We were just talking about Logan Lucky. I keep wanting to say Lucky Logan, son of a bitch. Um, and uh, we're going to do the complete other side. Andrew's choice to go along with Logan Lucky uh, probably shouldn't surprise, considering what he told us about his favorite director in the intro and about the nature of a robbery uh, backed onto a race. You went back to 1956. And you chose The Killing. Tell people who may not have seen this movie about this uh, Stanley Kubrick gem from 56. Yeah, it's... Well, I mean, the reason I chose it, if you know the plot, it's obvious. It's a bunch of guys robbing a racetrack. Um, But the difference is the racetrack is a horse track, uh, not NASCAR. But, wow, is it similar in a lot of ways. Um, They... In uh, in Logan Lucky, there's a there's a scene where they show the grandeur of the the track and all the pomp and circumstance of getting bringing people in and the helicopters and singing America America and all that stuff, and the killing opens that way with 
the the big Clydesdale horses moving the gates and the and the thoroughbreds coming down the tunnel and all the people cheering and all the people buying tickets and stuff. So even though both movies, none of them, neither of them really take place in the uh, arena. There's a couple shots I think of the arena. It's all underground and in other places. Um, they both have that. They want to show you the the excitement of being at the track and and the type of people that are at the track. Well, and they um, also both want to show the the machine that is a track, right? Like both of them show, okay, so the hospitality workers are over here and the counter workers are over here and this is how we get the money out and here's where the money's counted. Like that's that, that's all really cool cuz we never see that in a casino or, or or like a venue or something like that or a stadium. We don't really know how it all works so that's really always cool to kind of see how right. how the parts fit together right yeah it's always a just a big vault it's yeah. a big mis- mission impossible that they have to get into and yeah here it's going on while the while the race or the event is happening so they have to um they have to know how things move around and where people are going to be and obstacles that they have to and the other difference with this movie is too these guys um for the, I would, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say they're professional, but they seem to be more um, with they're, it. They're specialists, they're, I think. Like he's got, he, you know, it, it's it. We're back to Ocean's Eleven again, where you've got a grease man and you've got a, you know, you've got a blunt instrument, and you, you know, you, you, you're putting the team yeah. together, where as opposed to just getting your family to help you rob NASCAR. Yeah, these are the only people I know, so this is who we're gonna have help us out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, plus Joe Bang, um, and 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 the <laughs> Joe Bang brothers too. Um, this is it's, it's kind of funny because I, I looked at the the Criterion video of, of this movie, um, like the kind of the Criterion trailer, and it calls this movie the heist movie that everyone rips off. Probably. Which yeah. I, I mean, I I don't know much about fifties or before cinema. So I don't know how many heist films there were uh, at that point, but yeah, I would think this has got to be some kind of groundbreaking film in I that mean, regard. It's, it's everything from, you know, the ma- like the masks, for instance, like the mask that he puts on that clown mask. That's I, I don't know how much that was used before that, but then you know you got that and everything from The Dark Knight to Point Break to all kinds of other movies. Yeah. Quick change, the Bill Murray movie? Yeah, yeah same yeah. thing, where he's wearing the rubber mask. Everything else, people would probably have on, like, bandit ban- bandanas covering up their lower face. They wouldn't think to actually put on a rubber mask like this. Everything like that, or the double cross, or, like you said, like the, the specialists. I, I can't speak too clearly to what came before, but ever since then, it feels like this is the movie that everybody steals from. And the other thing that makes this movie really great is... So not only are the characters uh, like professionals or you know putting the team together, they're all every single one of them is very uh, unique and expressive. And I mentioned character caricatures before. Everybody in this has a very different looking face and yeah. interesting. The one guy with the, the the sniper guy that just talks like this the whole time. There's that guy, and then you got the big like almost WWF wrestling hairy guy um the the dumb stupid looking guy what's his name he's in a ton of Elisha Cook Jr. I think his name is um 
like he's just kind of looks sad and and dumb and taken advantage of the women are extremely expressive like nobody in here looks the same even though they're all wearing 50s suit and suit and hats you know who everybody is and what their role is just because of how interesting their face is yeah um i think the other thing i love about this movie is the 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 it's um short sweet get in and get out it's it's all about taking the basically the bulk of this movie is about taking the job taking the robbery and showing it from several sides as opposed to lucky which is all about the job and just how the job progresses and eventually showing one thing that we didn't see um i think i i i I like that approach to a heist movie more than i'd like how are we going to rip it off especially if it it is this kind of thing where you need a crew it's like i want to know what everybody in this crew is doing at the at the same time you know so if that means we need to back up a sec or back up a sec you know that's i really really like that approach or have a narrator yeah i mean i a lot of movies I, i think the rule is it's not a good idea to have a narrator i wonder if you took the narrator out of this you could probably still follow it just fine but i think he really helps explain okay we're going back about 15 minutes and that's the other thing is it's not just a day before or whatever everything is precisely timed to the minute so you need that guy to say this is 17 minutes before whatever happened or immediately at the same time joe was doing this uh johnny was over here doing this and like you need to know the timelines it was like a a, a dragnet the guy yeah. that narrates dragnet it sounded like that guy yeah well, I, and i mean like the music underneath it is very dragnet as well right oh it totally is also you said quick and drag get and get out another reason i picked the movie is because it's 85 minutes i'm like oh this is super easy watch right i mean okay so Kubrick with Barry Lyndon and 2001 A Space Odyssey has two extremely long movies under his belt and yet he's able to take something like this in 85 minutes and do more than most directors can do with like two and a half hours it seems like he's like Soderbergh it's like I'll do one for them the big studio long long blockbuster and then I'll just make what I want in this little this little lark of a movie yeah. When it okay, so we were talking before about like, you know, how like this is a heist movie and same thing with Logan Lucky and same thing with with um the Oceans movies that we keep touching back on. What like how do you prefer your heist movies? Do you want this kind of really hard-boiled, gritty, violent or do you like the ones that are more slapsticky and jokey and, you know, kind of the more Oceans type of uh approach? Or do you find that there's a place for both? There is a place for both, for sure. But I guess I prefer the slightly more lighthearted ones. I like it when the criminals are lovable. I wouldn't say any of the criminals in this are likable people mm-hmm. at all. But mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven? Oh, I'd hang out with those guys. I'll hang out with Don Cheadle every day for the rest <laughs> of my life. These guys, I, after you split up the money, you want to go separate ways and never see them again. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think of something like a Mammoth movie the heist it's called heist actually yeah. with like delroy lindo and gene hackman um that's almost like an in-between it's yeah. it's still a little dark and um gritty and and a little bit violent and you don't necessarily like those guys but it's still 
pretty fun to hang out with them too. Well, it's because they're, it's they're getting so all the words written like by David Mamet, right? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but she yeah, I, I think there's a the spectrum, sun, but... although I, I I think I gravitate a little bit more to the fun ones. I want them, what I was going to say, is I want the guys to get away with something. Oh, Whereas, right. you know, if you've never seen The Killing, um, it can be frustrating. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Like Logan Lucky was frustrating for a while until things start to pan out and you go, oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of movies are like, in fact, romance. You can go to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or Romancing the Stone or all of these movies where they don't get the big payoff, but they get something at the end and you always just go, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of like that. They get something. Okay. Even when you think it's all gone to shit. Pot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I want it to be fun. Okay. Well, speaking of fun, we have one more movie to talk about on the other side, and uh, it's not a gem, and it's not a movie I really thought myself coming back to anytime soon, but um, it's uh, it's pretty fun. Come on back after this. We're going to flip the record over one more time and talk about one more movie and close out the show. My choice of the other side to go along with Logan Lucky, I jumped on the NASCAR theme and went back to the glory days of 1990 and a film by Tony Scott. We talked, we watched Days of Thunder, people. Tom Cruise driving in NASCAR, Robert Duvall is his pit boss, Nicole Kidman is the doctor who he falls for. Uh, you know, I. I we, we, Top, Top Gun is a movie that's got a special place in my heart, bad as I now believe it is, but I really gotta say that this is a movie that has Tom Cruise at his cruisiest. His introduction in this movie, as ridiculous as it is, him like riding on this motorcycle through the smoke of the speedway to like pull up to the car, that might be like the greatest introduction his character, his he as an actor, has ever brought himself in as a movie. Um, where where are you at with Days of Thunder? Like when you did, you did rewatch it for the show, right? Nope. I had to turn off the video. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. Um, I think I'm still getting video though on the little one. That's weird. Can I close that out? Yeah, sure. I'm. I'm whenever Kurt and I have connection problems, we just turn off the video, and that yeah, yeah. usually that's cool. There um, we go. That... So 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 did you re- you rewatch that for this show, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I did. <laughs> how, how did it go going back to 1990? Well, you mentioned the motorcycle thing. There are two, and Tom Cruise being his cruisiest, there are two conditions for a Tom Cruise movie. He needs to ride a motorcycle, and he needs to run, and he covers both of those <laughs> in, this, in this movie. And I'm glad you mentioned Top Gun, because it's almost the same movie. It's just not in fighter planes. It's in race cars. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. It, it, like Top Gun, it's got that, like maybe three quarters of the way through this kind of sad bastard stuff about, oh, I don't know if I can get back in the cockpit again and, you know, something might happen and then he talks to the the girl and, you know, she gives him some inspiration. Like, it's the same movie and then there's the big showdown at the end and like Top Gun 
none of the racing in this is remotely close to what NASCAR is actually like. You know, Top Gun, same thing. If you've watched the director's commentary, we don't do barrel rolls and do spinning all around, and we don't. This just doesn't happen. Um, Days of Thunder would be so boring if it was actual NASCAR. Uh, nothing that you know, nothing that happens in this is remotely realistic. If you're just watching cars go around in circles for five hours, meh. But Tom Cruise is passing like four cars, five cars, just in a matter of seconds. That just never happens. And you know, one lap to go, and he's talking in the radio to his wingman the whole time, and it just feels like this unrealistic crazy version of nascar that just tony scott seems to um excel at a lot and just that's what makes it a fun movie is the fact that it's not realistic like a lot of people complain about military movies or whatever movies saying oh that's just not how it is that's not realistic and i always say good because if it was realistic it wouldn't be very much fun of a movie would it yeah like i I think about that with a movie like rush um, that one with um, yeah. um, Thor and Daniel Bruhl, um, Chris Hemsworth. That's the that's the name I'm looking for. Um, and, and Daniel Bruhl about uh, Nikki Lauda. Uh, and I mean, the racing scenes in that are super realistic. Like you can almost not believe that Ron Howard constructed those. But the movie itself is pretty damn dull. I wanted more you know silliness like getting pulled over by the stripper dressed as a cop or silliness like you know eating ice cream and getting into a fight in the in, in pit lane yeah. none of that is remotely realistic but at the, at the at the very least it makes for an amusing little movie you know right it's just supposed to be and that's what it's supposed to be the you know, one thing I forgot about this movie that's weird, um, I can't think of too many movies that do this, it changes villains at about the halfway mark. Yeah. I totally forgot. Not only does it change villains, he becomes friends Yeah, with the villain, which yeah. is strange. It's, it's um, really strange. I'd actually forgot that it was... I don't know why I forgot that it was Michael Rooker. I don't know who I thought it was, but um, Michael Rooker is amazing in this movie. He always is. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you, yeah. you want to you make something better, just add more Rooker, right? Yep, the Rooker factor. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. And that's all. And not only is like they become friends, but he's the catalyst to, I guess, whatever commentary there is in this movie about, I, I don't know, being safe or take, you know, taking your health seriously or whatever. Um well, there's that. Actually, that's it's, the one thing about this movie that has actually kind of changed over time is this movie has at its core, you know, it, like neither one of us is saying this is a good movie. Don't get us wrong. But at its core, this is a movie about two things. It's on the one hand, it's about post-concussion syndrome. And on the other hand, it's also about PTSD because Cole has trouble getting back to driving because he's basically got a case of the yips he's been in an accident Mm -hmm. he's got some pretty bad post-trauma going on and he just can't get back in the saddle and there's a lot of athletes a lot of people not just athletes but there's a lot of people that that affects even though in this movie he's able to just brush it off by finally pushing through it even though some people can't and meanwhile um rowdy the the michael rooker character he's got some tremendously bad post-concussion syndrome which 
through you know in sports through the years has probably just been like brushed off and brushed off and brushed off and it's weird because in this movie you know they're they're really trying hard to push on uh, Rowdy to to go get treated and take care of himself and take his health seriously. Meanwhile, you know we know more and more with every passing year how even the most minor concussion can have like huge consequences later on. And this is all hap- this is all being talked about back in 1990. Yeah, right. It's almost ahead of its time in that way. That said, was there a move a, a point where this movie felt really dated? Well, I mean, it feels like. It's a 1990 movie, but as we've said on the Cinecast many times, the 90s don't start until like 1994. The <laughs> 1990 is still the 80s, yeah. And it feels like an 80s movie, and it and also I suppose the nostalgia too. Like I remember the Taco Bell cups. Um, you collect all the different cars on the cup. The Hardee's. Oh, it was Hardee's. That's what it was. You get Hardee's and Mellow Yellow and. Um, did you guys whatever. get the? Uh, did you guys get the sunglasses? I don't remember the sunglasses. We there's a restaurant chain up here called Harvey's with a V for Victor that were their promotion for Days of Thunder were sunglasses and they were uh, basically cheap, cheap, cheap black wayfarers. But the the arms of the glasses were neon, so there was like a green pair and a pink pair and a yellow pair, and they had Days of Thunder <laughs> written on the side in black. Nice. Yeah. No, I don't remember those. That would have been better than the cups, I yeah. think. But yeah, uh, so, so your short answer is this entire movie is dated. I mean, it just it feels like it feels like a Tony Scott movie of the late eighties. Um, yeah. it, it it's got that Last Boy Scout feel. It's got that Top Gun feel. Um, it, and it that is to say that it actually looks pretty nice. I like the way it looks. I love it when they're in the garage and it's dimly lit, or they're in the back of the truck, or when they're out on the track. It's very bright and colorful and. Um, that was the other thing I didn't remember is he's he's in that black car for a lot of the movie. I seem to just remember that bright green mellow yellow car the whole time, but that was he's in one, that very that was the one they sold. That was the one where yeah. we we're both old enough to remember the commercials and the posters and the mellow yellow car that really only shows up at the very end is the one that they were really or or the one that he has in the beginning his like city chevrolet motors car those are the ones that they really really sold us um it's it, it you know it's weird because you're right this movie still looks cool it's still edited like a like a mother and this is actually the first time i got to hear it properly like i've got a surround sound system now and any other time i'd watched it i watched it you know back in 90 91 92 93 on just a normal tv no, I didn't have a steer on VHS. This is actually right. the first time I, I was able to hear it proper. This movie sounds amazing. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. The, when those roar of the race cars kick in, it's it's there. It's loud. Yeah, um, and it's got great sound editing too. Now I don't know. I, I imagine when it first came out, 1990. I mean, was that in the age of surround sound yet, or was it still mostly at, just Dolby stereo? Not at, not at home. Like, I mean, in a theater, it probably would have had a nice mix to it, but, you know, you didn't have people at home with, you know, Maybe. speakers in four places, at least not most of yeah. us. Um, you know, th- th- it's, it's, it's funny, because I feel like at the beginning of this movie, when he first rides in, they talk about how you know, he's from California. Is he a Yankee? Well, no. If you're from California, you're not really a Yankee. You're not really much of anything. I, I, I associate NASCAR so much with Southern culture. 
Aside from Harry and Rowdy, I don't really feel a whole lot of Southern in this movie, as opposed to Logan Lucky, which is just dripping with Southern. Did that throw you off at all? That this movie, this movie feels very California. Oh, it totally does. I mean, with and you got Randy Quaid and Carrie Elliott and these guys trying to do a Southern accent. John <laughs> C. Riley is in there. If you, I mean, if you blink, you'll miss it. But John C. Riley's there. Um, they're all. Yeah, they're all California Hollywood guys. Yeah. Now, Duvall can pull it off because oh, he's yeah. Duvall. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you throw Nicole Kidman in there and she's not changing her accent at all. No. Like, she, so that pulls you out of the Southern world as well. There are a couple moments of, like, Confederate flags and uh, Fred Dalton Thompson's in this. Yeah. Um, you know, so that adds to the Southernness of it. But, you know, yeah, you're right. I agree. It's It still feels like. Might as well be in L.A. Yeah, I, it's kind of funny because I, I almost like I don't really want this movie to be I sorry I don't want this movie to be remade at all. But if I were, the only thing I'd want out of it is Dixie it up a little bit. Like you know, g- give me a few more y'alls and a, and a few more one armed bartenders because uh, <laughs> then I think we're on to something. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, no, I don't. I don't know if I'd want a remake of it either. But a really fun unrealistic actiony nascar movie i would take one i still don't really get like i mean i think we got that with ricky bobby um i still don't <laughs> really get nascar i don't either okay I don't, <laughs> I, was... I don't that's what i'm saying i would never sit down on a sunday and waste five hours watching a car go left <laughs> uh but i would sit down for 90 minutes and watch this kind of stuff where they're you know banging each other and you get to hear what they're all saying to each other and and oh there's a hole and then zoom by like that doesn't happen in nascar but it does in the movies and that's what makes it fun i'd watch a documentary maybe like like a really well-made documentary about some nascar story ken burns yeah days of thunder yeah yeah, that that's i'd watch that Okay. Yeah, I would watch that too, probably. <laughs> oh man, I it, it's it. Yeah, I just I kind of had to go back to this because it's been so long since I watched it. I used to love this movie so much. I used to be like the biggest Tom Cruise fan, and so this is a movie that I watched over and over and over. And I found it really weird how a lot of the beats were coming back to me, and also just how much I'd forgotten. Um, and I felt I did find it a nice little pairing with with Logan Lucky. I think it actually made me think a little bit better of logan lucky was was going back and rewatching days of thunder and thinking well <laughs> yep. at least it's not that bad right you know right so. yep i hear you Anything it's else? definitely lesser tony scott god bless him. <laughs> <laughs> i i hate to speak ill of the dead but i don't know exactly what is greater tony scott i love tony scott are you kidding me oh i mean yeah last boy scout and say what you, i know you just said him, something right? about Yep. Yeah. Crimson okay. Tide. That, that's greater. That's that's greater. Tony Scott. All right. Domino. Oh, Domino's uh, a Cinecast favorite. Spy Game is great. Lo- I was watching Spy Game. True like, Romance. I, Last Boy oh, Scout. I oh, take it back. I take it back. I should. I, I'm. I'm sorry, Tony. I'm very, very sorry. Please don't. That. That. Maybe that was. You know what? The the reason I had a few uh, technical hiccups with this show was that I was thinking ill of the Tony. No, Tony's great. Yeah, yeah he's got some clunkers. Like on yeah, take the remake of Taking Pound One Two Three. Meh, but. You go back to his '90s output; it's it's pretty great, it's and and '80s. Nice, nice. 
Well, that is episode 183 of the Matinee Cast. I'd like to thank Andrew James for coming on and being a guest. Come on back on Monday, August 28th for episode 184. We're going to crank one out before we get to tiff um i'm not sure what we're going to be discussing yet but there's a lot out there to talk about uh, might talk about good time i might talk about the trip to spain uh, not quite sure so come on back and find out what we're going to choose andrew james of course can be found on the row three cinecast where they are far more uh diligent about cranking out the episodes so uh, what's the next cinecast about uh so it's some Soderbergh movie. I think it's called Logan Lucky. <laughs> what are we talking about? Well, that and I don't know. We might get to Patty Cakes as well. Which one's that one? Oh, yeah. I um, want to see that. Yeah, it's sort of the um, Sing Street of 2017, but with hip hop. Right. It, it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, I totally need to see that. Okay, that'll so, go well. If you want more Logan Lucky, like a, probably a lot more because Kurt Halfyard will be on the show, um, you can tune into <laughs> Cinecast. <laughs> gird your loins uh people want to find you on twitter where can they find you andrew underscore james and i'm more prolific i think on letterbox also at andrew underscore james gotcha there will be uh links in the show notes look for them my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on stitcher radio blueberry apple's podcast app and the itunes store everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop Feedback on Logan Lucky, The Killing, or Days of Thunder can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? Shoot the hostage. What? <laughs> Pop quiz, hotshot. What do you do? Shoot, Shoot the, the hostage. hostage. Thank you. I'm gonna, I think I could get a rewatch speed because clearly I am ill-versed. <laughs> For Andrew, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.